again, welcome to New City. Glad to have you with us this morning, um, especially this morning. We are starting a new sermon series that will be in through the rest of the summer, and I am super excited about this sermon series. Um, we're going to be taking a look at the Holy Spirit. Um, many of you are familiar, our New City folks are familiar um, with our men's and women's leadership cohorts. These cohorts we do for nine months. We gather together and in each of the cohorts, men's and women's, um, and we study theology together. And um, our goal is not just to learn more theology, but practically to apply that to our lives. What does life look like in view of this theology? And particularly in our leadership cohorts, how does this affect how we lead? Um, I, I'm, I'm telling you that, one, because I love these leadership cohorts, and uh, this year's is closed, but next year I would encourage you to be a part of it. But the other reason I'm sharing that with you is uh, I, I don't teach the whole thing, but every year I've had the opportunity to teach on the month that we call pneumatology. Pneumatology is the study of the Spirit. And I love being able to do that every year. Um, part of the reason I love to do that is because at New City, we are blessed with a lot of diversity. Now, some of the diversity at New City is, is not where we would like for it to be racially. We would love to be a more diverse church culturally the same. But when it comes to diversity uh, of church background and denominations, and we have got it all. We have new believers. We regularly have unbelievers who are with us. Um, we have long, long-time believers. Um, we, we've got all of it. We have charismatics and, and Pentecostals, and th they are all about the Spirit. We have Presbyterians. Uh, you all know what they call Presbyterians. Yes, the frozen chosen. The frozen chosen. Listen, if you are Presbyterian in your background, do not feel hurt because your Baptist brothers and sisters may differ on the chosen part, but they are just as frozen. We could add to that the, the Lutherans and Catholics and Methodists, and um, I, I am sure that in some of those... Um, there was not a lot of discussion about the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so that's why I love. I love the diversity. I love the opportunity to teach on this subject. And really, I love it because when you begin to dive into what the Bible teaches on the Holy Spirit, what we really find is that all of us, right, frozen, chosen, charismatic, Pentecostal, whatever, all of us has a, a lot to learn about the Holy Spirit. Um, and a lot of us have been missing out uh, a great deal on what a beautiful gift the Holy Spirit is to us. So I'm looking forward to this and uh, with you guys. As we get started this morning, let, let's pray together. And uh, I'm going to ask if you, would, if you would, if you would join me and pray with me, not just listen to me or zone out, but, but pray yourself. Let's go to God together and pray before we get going. Um, on, on Holy Spirit, not what, but who. Will you pray with me? Yeah, let's do that. Father, thank you that we can come together and pray. I pray for our time together this morning that you would just be especially good to us. 
Uh, Holy Spirit, we pray to you. Uh, we pray that you would be mighty in our midst, that you would help us to listen and, and to learn. Um, Holy Spirit, that you would take the, the words that we, we see in the scripture today and that we talk about and that you would plant them deep in our hearts. Um, help us today to, to not just hear theology and zone out or to hear theology and, and learn new, new facts, um, but I pray that this would, would change our lives. And I can't do that, but Holy Spirit, you can. So, so, so plant these truths deep in our hearts. Shape us, remind us of them over and over again. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so one of the, the common misconceptions um, of, of the Holy Spirit is that Holy Spirit is some sort of impersonal force or, or power, like, like some emanation or something that comes uh, just from God. But the reality is that Holy Spirit is not a power, He is a person. Holy Spirit is not a power, he is a person. Now, let me give you guys just sort of a heads up on the front end. It's a little bit different today as we're, we're talking through all this. We'll, we'll feel like a lot of tea, but stick with me through, and, and that is a little bit different than preaching, um, but, but stick with me through this, and then we'll try to practically apply what we're learning here. So, so we'll, we'll start with that. Holy Spirit is not a power, but a person. When I say that, I don't mean person like in a human body like ours, obviously, but a person with personality, um, someone, not something. So let's look at some passages in our Bibles this morning that show us um, who the Holy Spirit is, starting with um, masculine pronouns, not neutral. Um, this really is important when we're talking about a person rather than a thing. And one of the numerous examples of this is in John chapter 14, verses 15 through 17. Um, Jesus was teaching. He said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, talking about the Holy Spirit, to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And then in John chapter 16, verses 13 through 14, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare it to you. He will declare to you the things that are to come. So there are other passages that do this as well. This one just repeated it a lot, so I wanted to use that. Um, the point here is that the Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is not an it. If the Holy Spirit were an it, this, this power, if, if, if the Holy Spirit were just some sort of power, an it, then the writers of the Bible would have used... Um, they would have not used uh, the, the, the masculine pronouns, but would have used a, a neuter pronoun, it, rather than he. Uh, the masculine pronoun shows that this is, this is a person. 
Now, the Holy Spirit is, is a person, a, a personality. So we also find that the writers of, of Scripture, um, when they talk about the Holy Spirit, they show us that the Holy Spirit has the attributes of a person, right? And so we go by the, the, the masculine pronoun of a person. Holy Spirit has the attributes of a person. By attributes, what I mean is just qualities and characteristics that generally we ascribe to, to people, to a person, not a person. Um, Holy Spirit, for example, has intelligence. In 1 Corinthians chapter um, 2, verse 11, Paul says that uh, the Spirit knows the thoughts of God. He comprehends what is in the mind of, of God, the, the very thoughts of God. Holy Spirit knows and understands, comprehends, and even makes known to us the mind of God. In Romans 8, 26 and 27, Paul tells us that the Spirit knows us and the Spirit knows our needs, um, and, and the Holy Spirit helps us by interceding for us. So, so knowing, comprehending, um, helping, interceding, th those are not the things that, that an, an impersonal force does. This is the activity of, of a person. Um, we also see in the Scripture that the Holy Spirit has feelings. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, um, we learn that the Holy Spirit can be grieved. We can grieve the Holy Spirit by our actions. In Hebrews 10, uh, 29, the Holy Spirit can be outraged. The Holy Spirit can become angry. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11, and Acts 16, 6 through 11, we see that the Holy Spirit also has a will. The, the Holy Spirit has a will. It was in Acts chapter 16 where, where we read that the Holy Spirit was forbidding Paul and Silas from sharing the gospel at one point in Asia. Right? This is a will. It was a decision that the Holy Spirit was making to keep Paul and Silas from going into Asia. So, so the Holy Spirit is um, described with personal pronouns, he, not it. The Holy Spirit is described with personal attributes, intelligence, feelings, a will. And the Holy Spirit also exhibits the actions of, of a person. Again, these are actions that are intentional. They're actions that are um, purposeful. Uh, the Holy Spirit is intentional in what he does, purposeful in what he does. They are very thoughtful actions. So real quickly, he guides in truth, speaking and showing. We see that in John 16, verse 13, among other places. The Holy Spirit convicts um, of sin, John 16, verse 8. The Holy Spirit performs miracles, like this isn't an accident because this force showed up. It is the Holy Spirit intentionally performing miracles, Acts 8, 39. The Holy Spirit, as I mentioned just a moment ago, intercedes on our behalf. Again, the Holy Spirit knows us, knows our needs, and very intentionally and purposefully, he intercedes on our behalf, Romans 8, 26. There are a lot of other passages that, that, that we could look at 
and even other um, attributes that we could talk about with the Holy Spirit, um, all of them show that the Holy Spirit isn't an it, not some impersonal force that, that emanates from God, not, not some supernatural um, ghost for good. Holy Spirit is not something. The Holy Spirit is someone. The Holy Spirit is someone. Right, so, so, so we start off, we should rightly see that, that the Holy Spirit is, is, is a person. But we need to also see in that the Holy Spirit is not a person like us and, and not just any person. The Holy Spirit is a person like, like God. In fact, what we should understand in this is that the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, the third person of the Trinity. I'm going to talk about the Trinity for a moment, and I just want to say now, and I'll say again, this is difficult, right? The Trinity is an incredibly difficult concept. And for any of you who might be sitting there thinking, oh, no, I got this completely, sit down and try to write out briefly how to teach what the Trinity is. And you'll be like, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what to say. Um, th- th- this is difficult. If we're, if we're, if we're honest, this concept of of one God who exists in three persons, man, that is that is hard for us to to grasp. In, in fact, if I'm honest with you, and I want to be honest with you, there are sometimes like when I was sitting down to put all of this together, when I was like, this is impossible. This is impossible for me to grasp. And, and, and people try to, um, to make comparisons. Well, the Holy Spirit is like an egg. The Holy Spirit is not like an egg. No, no, the Holy Spirit is like water. No, the Holy Spirit is not like water. The truth is there is absolutely nothing that we can compare accurately the Holy Spirit to, and that's what makes it feel so, uh, or or the Trinity too, that's what makes it feel so impossible, and and yet that's how the Bible describes God, um, as, as one God, right? The Lord your God is one, and at the same time, three distinct persons in this one God, the Godhead, Uh, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Uh, What this means is that that all three of those persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, make one God, one God. God the Father is distinct from God the Son. They are distinct and different. The Father is not Jesus. And neither is the Father, the Holy Spirit. Jesus is God, but he is not the Father, and neither is he the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is God. The Bible tells us the Holy Spirit is God, but he is not the Father or the Son. Three distinct persons. Each not only make up the Godhead, but each person, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is themselves fully God. So so when we say that God is all-knowing, for example, omniscient, we're saying that not only is the Father all-knowing, but because the three are one and they are all equal and all the same, not only is God the Father all-knowing, but God the Son is all-knowing. And God the Holy Spirit is all-knowing as well. Any attribute, what this means is that any attribute that we might give to God belongs equally to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. 
Are we all thoroughly confused? Stick with me just a little bit longer because what I want to look at in that is some of the specifics with regard particularly to the Holy Spirit um, as the third person of our triune God. So, So first, I want to point out this. We see that the Holy Spirit, that Holy Spirit and God are used interchangeably. They're used interchangeably in Scripture. Acts chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, one of the places we see this. Um, but Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to who? Holy Spirit. And to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have lied not to man, but to who? God. Right? So, so the Holy Spirit in, in, in one verse and God in, in the next verse, you've not lied to, to, to man, but you've lied to God. Why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? And what the writer is doing is equate it's the same as lying to the Holy Spirit. And when you, when you lie to the Holy Spirit, it is the same as lying to God. Holy Spirit and God are used interchangeably. Their attributes are used interchangeably. Um, I mentioned earlier 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2, verses 10 through 11, um, and, and, and I want to look at that about the Spirit knowing things. Let me read that. Beginning in verse 10, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. It isn't just knowing things. The Spirit knows what God knows. The Spirit knows what God knows. Omniscience, right? The Spirit knows the very mind of God, and God is omniscient. And what that means is we we say of God, we see in Scripture that God knows all things, everything that is knowable. If there is something that is knowable, God knows it and has known it. And the Holy Spirit, we, we, we see here, knows the very mind of God. And whatever it is, what that means is that whatever it is that God the Father knows, Holy Spirit knows as well. That omniscience of God applies equally to the Holy Spirit. Omnipotence is another. Um, this passage in Luke, Luke 1, verse 35 and the angel answered her, Mary, answered Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. The Holy Spirit here is paralleled with the Most High. The, 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 the power of the Holy Spirit that comes is the power of the Most High. Right? There is equality in their, in their power, and the two are paralleled. We believe that God is all-powerful. There is nothing that God can't wants to do. And what this means is that same omnipotent power that belongs to God the Father also belongs to the Holy Spirit. Omniscient, omnipotence, 
We also say that God is eternal without beginning or end. Eternality, the same is true of the Spirit. The Spirit was not created and sent. That's not the way the Holy Spirit is. The the, the Holy Spirit has always been and will always be. Um, Genesis gives us the account of creation, right? And in Genesis chapter 1, before there was time, Genesis 1-1, we read this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So in the beginning, at creation, before God spoke into being, the Holy Spirit was. Genesis 1.16, God said, let us, let us make man in our image. That us is our triune God. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is who made us. That is the image that we are made in. Hebrews 9.14 says, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Christ, through the eternal Spirit, offered himself. So, so in talking about the Holy, per, uh, Holy Spirit as the third person of, of the Trinity, Scripture shows us that, that the Holy Spirit and God are sometimes used interchangeably, right? Sometimes God, sometimes Holy Spirit used interchangeably, and the attributes of the Holy Spirit and God are also interchangeable. What is, is true of God is true equally of the Holy Spirit in Scripture. Holy Spirit is given equality with the Father and the Son. Now, one of my favorite passages uh, in the New Testament, especially one of my favorite passages, is the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28. I love this passage because it gives us clear expectations from Jesus on, on what the life of a follower should look like. Right? He's talking to his disciples, and we are all disciples if we are followers of Jesus. And, and the walking instructions that he's giving, giving is not just to the disciples that were with him, but all the disciples that come after, and that means us, right? And so I love this passage, for one, because it gives us our walking orders. This is what our life is about. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always till the end of the age. Now, I love that passage, um, not just because of the walking orders that it gives and the clarity it brings to us as, as Christians today. I love this passage because it gives us a clear picture of the Trinity. As you go, make disciples, baptizing these new believers and teaching them what it looks like to love and follow Jesus. Baptizing them, he says, in the name, singular, not the names, three different gods, the name, one God, singular, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, right? This is the Godhead that we see, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three separate persons making up the, the name, the name, 
singular, God in three persons, right? Again, each unique, each his own person, all equal, one God. Another place we see in Scripture, um, oftentimes, um, this, this trinity um, and, and its equality is in the opening and closing um, of, of the letters in the New Testament. First Peter is one of those examples. First uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 2, Peter wrote this, um, beginning in verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, I'm sure I said that wrong, Asia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Do you see the Trinity in that? Again, separate and unique, each his own, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all equal as our triune God. So, there's a lot there, isn't it, in the Trinity. Let me, let me summarize all of that. When it comes to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is not some power or force or some emanation that, that comes from God, the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is the third person of our triune God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not like an understudy of God or an assistant of God, that God sometimes sends out to, to do things for him, the Holy Spirit is God himself. Let me say that again. The Holy Spirit is God himself. In every way that, that the Father is God, the Holy Spirit is God. Anything that we can say about God, about his beauty, his glory, his splendor, his power, his knowledge, his love, his kindness, his mercy, his grace, whatever it is that we can say about God is equally true of the Holy Spirit. Now, let me talk about the gospel and the Holy Spirit, right? So, so begin to take this theology and apply it to us. Um, the gospel and the Holy Spirit. Um, we'll unpack this more as we go through the series, but uh, the good news of the gospel in its simplest is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Paul talks about that. Jesus lived the life that we could not live. Right, there's, there is a, a call on all of us to live lives created in God's image of, of holiness and righteousness and purity. And every single one of us, not only have we failed it, but we continue to fail it, right? We continue even now to fail it. We, we continue not to live this perfect life that we've been called to live. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus lived that life for us. Jesus lived the life that we could not. He was perfect, holy, righteous, sinless, and we are not. 
Jesus died the death that we deserve. Um, He died the death that we deserve because of our sin. He who knew no sin died for us. The righteous died for the unrighteous. He took our place on the cross, bearing the very wrath of God that should be ours because of our sin. The penalty for our sin, the wages of sin is death. That's eternal condemnation and separation from God. And if we died in our sins, that's what we would receive. That is our judgment just reward for sin. Jesus died the death that we deserve. On the third day, he was raised from death, defeating death and sin and Satan, doing that on our behalf again, doing that for us so that the good news of the gospel, when we trust in his work rather than in our own works of righteousness, then that righteousness of Jesus is graciously given to us. It's like looking at a bank account right, that has all of these negatives, and they're all wiped out by Jesus. And so when, when the Father looks at us through our faith in Jesus, what he sees is the righteousness and the beauty and the glory of the life of Jesus himself. Not because we were perfect, not because we did it right, not because we, we got it right in our lives, pulled ourselves up by our bootstraps, but because Jesus did what we cannot do. Through faith, that righteousness is granted to us. And through him, through faith in him and the work that he has done, we are made to be children of God. This is the good news of the gospel for us. But there is more to the good news of the gospel than forgiveness and salvation that is ours. As great as that is, there is more. In John chapter 4 and in John chapter 7, Jesus talks about the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus talks about the Spirit indwelling in us. But John writes, as, as, as Jesus was speaking, John writes, at that time the Spirit had not been sent. The Spirit had not been sent. Jesus would tell his disciples after his death and his resurrection that the Holy Spirit was coming. He was sending the Holy Spirit to them, and the Holy Spirit would help them, and Jesus did just that. We read about it in Acts chapter 2 in the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit came in a mighty and powerful way. Hear me. From that day forward, every the Holy Spirit when they believe. This is the gift. This is the gift of Jesus. This is the gift that continues. Listen to what Paul said in Ephesians 1, right? Long after Acts chapter 2 and the Holy Spirit originally came, in Ephesians 1, after sharing the gospel with the Ephesians and reminding them in chapter 1 of their future with Jesus and the great inheritance that they have with him when we are gathered together with him in the Father's presence, he's told them about this great inheritance, and then he writes this in in verse 13, in him, talking about Jesus, You also, when you heard the word of truth, that is the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. 
When you became a believer, if you're here this morning and you are a believer, when you became a believer, you were sealed in the Holy Spirit until the day that you stand face to face with Jesus. That's what Paul just said. That's what we read. You were marked as his, you are protected as his, you are sealed in the Holy Spirit. Listen to me. Not until you mess up, you are sealed in the Holy Spirit until the day of your final redemption. The Holy Spirit seals you, and as Jesus said in John chapter 4 and John chapter 7, He, the Holy Spirit, now resides with you and in you, just like Jesus said. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel, this is our gospel connection. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel, and believed, you received and were sealed with the Holy Spirit until the day of your redemption. This is a gracious gift of God to every single believer. It's a gracious gift of God to every single believer, to everyone who believes through faith in Jesus, this is God's gift to you. God himself seals you, protects you, and listen, dwells with you. Did you hear that? God himself seals you, he protects you, And and listen to me, he doesn't do it from a bazillion miles away where maybe he's watching what goes on in your life and maybe he's not. God himself dwells with you and in you until the day that you stand before him and see him face to face. I told you I'd get excited teaching this. We're just getting started. This is pneumatology. When you hear theology words, this is pneumatology, and it is beautiful. It is really, really, really good. I want to close out by talking about some of the implications of what this means for believers, right? Because this this theology means something. So I want to talk about the implications, First of all, because the Spirit is a person, He is someone you can relate to. Because the Holy Spirit is a person, He is someone you can relate to. How is your relationship with God? Hear me. If it does not include the Holy Spirit, it is not nearly as good as it could be. Holy Spirit is now God with us. Right? If the Holy Spirit is God, and if the Holy Spirit indwells us until the day of our redemption, the Holy Spirit is God with us now. God himself in all his glory and all his splendor and majesty and kindness is right here with us until the day of our redemption. 
Holy Spirit is a person, the person of God, God with you. You can have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. You you can have a relationship with the Spirit of God. You can talk to the Spirit of God. You can pray with the Spirit of God. You can walk with the Spirit of God. Now, my charismatic and Pentecostal friends, Holy Spirit is not a power or, or a force that you pray that God will release so that something miraculous happens. Holy Spirit is a person, and God has already released the person of the Holy Spirit. Jesus sent him, and he is with you right now. He is present. He is present whether you have goosebumps or not. We're all looking for an experience, and I am telling you what the Bible says. No matter what your experience, no matter what you feel, no matter how many goosebumps you have when you come to New City or you don't, Holy Spirit is with you. Doesn't matter whether you speak in tongues or not. Paul said, When you believed, you received the Holy Spirit and you were sealed in the Spirit until the day of your redemption. You are sealed with Him and in Him, and He is indwelling you today, believer, tomorrow, believer, every day until the day of your redemption. Now, my Baptist and Presbyterian friends, just so you don't feel left out this morning, the Holy Spirit is more than the theology of the Trinity. More than some discussion of theology where we say, yes, there is a Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is, is, is more than a discussion on the spiritual gifts and the cessation of the gifts or not. The Holy Spirit is more than, than, than words that we use in baptism or some other sacrament. He is God with you. He is to be talked to. He is to be, to be trusted. He is to be walked with. He is to be encouraged by. He is to be desired. He is to be desired. He is to be pursued. For all of us, he is a person for us to relate to, a person who is with us until the day of our final redemption. Secondly, because he is divine, he is worthy of the same honor and respect that we give the Father and the Son. He is worthy of the same honor and respect that we give to the Father and the Son. Not a red-headed stepchild. He is worthy of our worship. This is God. He is worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our love. He's worthy of our admiration. He is worthy. And his work is their work. Because he is one with the Father and the Son, his work is their work. Listen to me. His conviction is God's conviction. Heed it. Do you understand what I'm saying? When the Holy Spirit begins to convict you of something and you ignore it, 
you're, you're ignoring God. This is, this is God. This is God leading. Follow him. Obey him. This, again, is, is God with you, God speaking to you, God leading you. Lean in on the Spirit. Trust the Spirit. He speaks for the Father. Finally, this, and, and it is a, a repeat of something I've already said, but it is so worth repeating. Because you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit until the day of your redemption, God is always with you. And talk about practical theology. Because you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit until the day of your redemption, God is always with you. Listen, I know it doesn't always feel that way. I know it doesn't feel that way in hard days and in suffering and in times of confusion when you don't understand what's happened or what is happening. I know that you feel alone. I know because I've been there. I know because the, the, the reality is we, we have all been there or we will be there, but the promise of God is that he will never leave you and never forsake you. And listen, this is not some distant, far-off promise that, 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 that we can't even see. It is God giving you his very spirit to indwell you until the day of your final redemption. God will never leave you and he will never forsake you. Never, never leave you. He'll never forsake you. What a precious gift. What a precious gift that so many of us have misunderstood and neglected. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your spirit. You are so patient. So patient with us and, and so good. Your loving kindness really is new every morning and your grace never ceasing. Here you have given us this beautiful and precious gift. A gift that we have not pursued largely. Have not sought to understand. Have either loved wrongly or not loved at all. Thank you that today is a new day. And I pray, Father, that, that, that you would remind us again and again and again of your presence with us. Father, your presence with us by the Spirit. Forgive us. Forgive us for forgetting. Forgive us for not pursuing. Forgive us for not knowing when we could have. Help us. Help us in the days to come to walk fresh and new in this relationship with you by your spirit. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.